Welcome to the Brooklyn Law Sports and Entertainment Podcast. My name is Leonardo Viola. It is my pleasure to be joined here today by Mr. Brian Hewitt, a Brooklyn Law School alumni, class of 2014. Mr. Hewitt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Leonardo? Very well. Thank you very much for asking, and thank you for joining us today. It is a pleasure to have you on our podcast for the first episode of 2023. So, Mr. Hewitt, I would suggest, you know, as an icebreaker, we let our audience get to know you a bit better. Uh, We know you currently work at MGM Television and Amazon. So first off, I'd like to ask, what drove you towards entertainment? Eventually, your move to California, your experience there, which led to the past seven years, kind of moving up the ladder at MGM and now currently holding the position of VP of Business and Legal Affairs for Unscripted Television at MGM. Yeah, so it it was uh, a little bit of a windy road. Um, So I always loved uh, film and television. Um, Back in high school, I used to take the bus from uh, DC, downtown DC. I grew up outside uh, of Washington. Um, And we'd take the, I would take the bus up to New York uh, and just uh, spend the entire day going to some of the art house cinemas up in New York watch all the the films, uh, the foreign language films, the independent films and stuff like that, that I couldn't see uh, Mm -hmm. back in DC uh, and come back home uh, that afternoon. Um, That love of film and and television and art uh, drove me to uh, pursue that in undergrad. Uh, I started out on a film and television production uh, path uh, at Penn State. Um, where I was making my own films um, and uh, learning about film production. Ultimately, I recognized that I probably wasn't going to be the next big thing in Hollywood in terms of film production, uh, but there might be ways that I could help that weren't uh, in a strictly production capacity or a a creative capacity. Um, So... After, uh, and I still loved entertainment and wanted to continue working on uh, in it. Uh, so I, after I graduated, I moved to New York where I worked for a film distribution company. I was doing uh, uh, legal delivery, which is uh, basically when you make a film, all of the paperwork that gets assembled uh, during the process is then handed over to the film's distributor so that they can vet it understand all the contractual provisions, et cetera. So that's like music licenses, um, uh, uh, actor agreements, um, chain of title for the underlying work. If it was based on a a book or a play or something like that, how those rights flowed to the filmmakers. Um, So I would assemble all that stuff, review it, make sure that everything looked um, okay. And then once that was done, we'd, you know, legally acquired the film and make all the payments and that sort of thing. Um, But in that capacity, I was working with a ton of uh, attorneys on on a pretty regular basis and questions would always turn to, well, where did you go to law school? And I hadn't. So I figured if I was going to be working with these attorneys and, uh, you know, uh, doing uh, a lot of uh, legal-like or or legal-esque work, uh, I Mm -hmm. might as well go to law school and uh, and get some formal training in it. So I 
went to Brooklyn Law School at night uh, while continuing to work full time uh, at this film distri uh, distribution company, and then later at uh, Tribeca uh, at the Tribeca Film Festival. Um, it was uh, a lot going to uh, work full time and law school at night, but I really loved the way that I was able to take stuff I was doing at work and bring it into the classroom and take stuff that I was learning in my classes and, and apply it to the stuff that I was doing um, uh, in this uh, at this distribution company. Um, and really appreciated uh, Brooklyn Law's flexibility when it came to um, that, providing an education to uh, you know people that were still working uh, full time. So then after law school, uh, I was, you know, like most uh, newly graduated attorneys, uh, hoping to be uh, employed. Uh, and there were just a lot more jobs out in LA uh, for uh, entertainment law, which is what I wanted to do. Uh, moved out here, I did a bunch of sort of short-term work. Um, I worked for uh, the WWE for a little bit. I worked uh, for a company called Legendary Entertainment that does um, uh, all those big sort of, you know, Godzilla and King Kong films, um, the big tentpole stuff. Um, and then uh, worked for a, a firm, uh, Pierce Law Group, for a little bit uh, before finally joining uh, what was then United Artists Media Group, then later acquired by MGM uh, as production counsel on uh, NBC's The Voice. Um, I worked as production counsel on The Voice for um, a, a couple of years uh, before being moved into my current position, um, which is sort of supervising our attorneys across all of the shows that MGM television uh, produces that are unscripted, um, unscripted being uh, sort of synonymous with reality television, um, uh, but can also include you know, documentaries and that sort of thing. Um, and those projects include things like Shark Tank, uh, Generation Gap, Beach Shazam, uh, The Big Shot, um, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader, uh, and the voice. Um, so it has been a uh, uh, sort of a long journey. I never thought that I'd work in uh, the unscripted space. Um, my original love was always uh, mostly film, uh, specifically foreign and uh, independent cinema, but um, I really loved it. it. It's been a lot of fun. Um, it's, it, you know, very engaging. There's lots of interesting legal questions that I'm confronted with uh, on a daily basis. And, um, you know, I, I'm happy that it worked out the way that it did. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that with us. You know, looking back on it now, it must feel like quite the journey. So uh, naturally, the, the follow up question kind of uh, is, you know, after embarking on this path, and now years later, in your opinion, how does an entertainment lawyer really differ from other types of lawyers? You know, uh, doctors aren't just doctors, there's oncologists, anesthetians, anesthesiologists, and so on. How would you say this field of legal practice is highly specialized in its own way? 
You know, it's funny. I asked uh, an attorney that I worked with uh, that specific question when I was getting ready for law school. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Brooklyn Law, uh, like a lot of uh, law schools, they have certificates that you can, um, you know, add on to your degree, but they don't have, you know, majors, you know, major in entertainment law. Um, and so I was talking to this attorney and asking, you know, well, when it comes to picking my classes, what, what, what should I focus on? How, how do I build out a, uh, you know, a curriculum that will make me um, appealing to, to potential uh, employers? And the, she gave me a bit of advice uh, that has stuck with me uh, throughout my career. And I think it's more and more true every day uh, that I continue to practice. And what she said was that entertainment law, it's not really about the law that you practice, but really who your clients are, because mm -hmm. entertainment law can touch everything. Unlike, you know, if you want to go and practice in trust and estates, like maybe you touch on contract law, maybe you touch on one or two other areas, uh, but you can build a practice that focuses just on one area of, of law and really specialize. In entertainment law, you have to do everything, um, you know, as, as production account uh, counsel on a TV show. You may have to do contracts um, for uh, your high-level talent. Um, that implicates things like um, employment law, labor law. Uh, you may have to license material to be in your show, which Im implicates things like um, uh, intellectual property, copyright, um, uh, I work on, on the uh, on Shark Tank, so we deal with patents. Uh, you deal with trademarks, uh, business secrets, right of publicity, right of privacy issues, uh, but even really things that you might not think about, like talking about that chain of title issue that uh, or chain of title that I would review at that film distrib uh, distribution company. Um, sometimes you know, the copyright into books, for example, passes through wills. So you have to understand how uh, trust and estates work and, uh, you know, when the rights to a book uh, pass to somebody else, does that include all the allied and ancillary rights, uh, like the right to make um, uh, derivative works, uh, taking a book and adapting it to stage or to film or to uh, a TV show? Um, I, I've rented boats for our productions, and that's, you know, I've had to do a quick Google on uh, Admiralty Law, um, or, you know, we've had uh, talent come from other countries and had to look into immigration issues. So it really has touched everything, and I think the thing that I, um, you know, recommend to attorneys when they reach out to me sometimes um, in term, and ask me the same question that I asked that lawyer way back when. It is, you know, get as much experience as you can with all aspects of the law. Just keep in mind, how might this uh, tie back to a, a production uh, scenario and what mm -hmm. that might look like? Um, but you can't just specialize in, in one thing and, and be a, a successful entertainment attorney, at least in my opinion. 
And Mr. Hewitt, you know, you mentioned you worked for the Pierce Law Group, which I know is in Beverly Hills. And um, over there, you took on the role of production counsel and entertainment attorney. And so I imagine you encountered many producer and executive producer agreements. So do you think you could maybe run us through maybe some of the conflicts those may raise, how different circumstances and or components are at play with one another to really create those conflicts and, you know, how to go about handling them? Of course, yeah. So one of the interesting questions that uh, come up uh, comes up, or something at least that you need to keep in mind as production counsel, um, uh, is who is your client? I, you know, it's a pretty fundamental question, uh, but it's not always clear. You know, you may have been engaged by, you know, Film Production LLC, the special purpose vehicle for producing this film. Um, so your client is technically that entity that is sort of the contracting entity that enters into all the agreements with the talent and um, the executive producers, the uh, stages that you rent, you know, uh, content that you license, the rights that you acquire to, to produce the film, et cetera. So that's your client. But you know, uh, corporations are, are sort of these legal fictions that we created um, that only sort of manifest themselves through representatives of those uh, entities. And so when you have an uh, executive producer or a producer who is sort of representing the interest of um, the entity and saying, you know, creatively, we really need this or we really need that, um, you can find sort of yourself in, in conflict. Is this individual representing the interests of the LLC or whatever <laughs> entity is producing the film? Um, or are they, uh, you know, are they potentially have their own interests that you need to factor in, into your analysis? It's something that you certainly want to keep in mind. Um, it's, I think, very rare that um, at least in my experience, that they ever really came into to conflict. Um, I think a sort of related conflict that you might come in, uh, might deal with um, as production counsel. It's not sort of a traditional conflict in the kind of professional responsibility sense, but it's how you deal with your own biases, especially when it comes to issues um, uh, regarding content versus the law. And that's something that I deal with all the time. Producers will come to me with some sort of idea and they'll say, you know, we really want to do this thing. It's super important to the, to the film. Um, and, you know, how do we, we get it done? And, you know, uh, from my perspective, I just don't see the, the importance of maybe doing it versus the risk, but ultimately, you know, that's not my call. My call is to be an advisor and say, if you want to pursue it, this is how you can do it. Um, these are the, the risks, uh, the trade-offs that you're going to have to confront, but ultimately it's your decision. And presenting that in, in a way that serves the interest of, of the client uh, without allowing your biases with regards to the um, value of the content is, um, uh, is I think, a 
area of professional responsibility that, that comes up, I think, more frequently for me uh, and that I uh, have to keep in mind and be cognizant about. Uh. Of course. And so, you know, kind of touching up on that as well, uh, do you think you can keep the same entertainment lawyer for out-of-state projects? How does the state in which one becomes a licensed attorney really matter in the entertainment realm? And, you, you know, how do different jurisdictions, different state laws come into play? So, I, you know, going back to my original answer about uh, entertainment law, not uh, or entertainment attorneys, not necessarily being specialists in any one area, but knowing enough about a right. lot of areas to be able to advise their client. Well, I will be the first to tell you, I'm not a, an expert in choice of law matters, but it does. Uh, it, it is something that frequently comes up. Um, because, you know, especially nowadays, there are so many great film tax incentives um, that various jurisdictions are offering, whether it's Canada or Ireland or, uh, you know, uh, different states like Georgia, um, that it's very rare that you are uh, going to produce a film uh, start to finish uh, from pre-production all the way through post-production all in one state or all in one jurisdiction. So you are gonna run into to choice of law issues. Now, some of that you can contract around. Uh, you know, if somebody is rendering services, um, you know, your, your lead star uh, has entered into an agreement uh, with your California-based uh, production entity uh, to render services on that film. Uh, you know, the contract will provide a, a choice of law for uh, questions like employment and that sort of thing. However, when they move into different jurisdictions, you need to know that the choice of law provision only gives you so much protection. And uh, knowing what you don't know and when to ask for help is really important. So reaching out to local counsel um, to help advise. Uh, you know, as, as the production attorney, finding local counsel to advise uh, on matters that might be unique to that jurisdiction is something that I would highly encourage as opposed to trying to teach yourself law that uh, for a jurisdiction that you don't practice in uh, and that you don't, uh, you know, uh, may not understand all the nuances of. Uh, and, you know, areas where this might come up are things like uh, uh uh, from a, a film and television perspective, um, whether a state is a one-party or two-party consent uh, state in terms of uh, recordings. So, for example, in California, is a two-party consent uh, state where uh, if you are calling someone and there's an expectation of privacy and you record that conversation, uh, unless you have the consent of the other party, um, they, you know, um, that could uh, pose uh, potential uh, civil or, or criminal liability. Uh, whereas in New York, um, uh, it is a one-party consent state and you're uh, allowed to record uh, an individual even if you don't have, uh, in an area where there might be an expectation of privacy, even if you don't have um, that um, individual's consent. Obviously, that is a very general uh, distinction between those two jurisdictions and, uh, you know, 
anybody no, had. And thank you. Thank you very much for illustrating that point so clearly. So um, I wanted to move in uh, perhaps more on a, on a personal note. So I wanted to ask you, you know, your experience, your studies, your, uh, your path all the way up to now, you know, what is, what is the last thing you think that, you know, you accomplished on your path to your current position that really require you to leave your comfort zone and develop proficiency in something that, you know, felt entirely new and different at the time for you? So um, I, I sort of have a go-to uh, uh, story on uh, when people ask me, like, you know, what's the, what are some of the, the things that you've had to confront? I'm sure that there are a lot of uh, unique issues mm -hmm. um, and matters of, of first impression. Uh, and there are, um, <laughs> you know, I have always enjoyed sort of um, the challenges uh, of uh, taking on something new and kind of a trial by fire um, uh, approach to, to learning. I've always sort of felt comfortable and thrived in those situations. And I've been presented with that um, in, in my current position. Uh, the, the story that I, I frequently tell is I was coming out of uh, a screening. Uh, we do pre-broadcast screenings of, of um episodes before they air just to make sure that there's nothing in there that that could right. be problematic um i was coming out of a screening and overheard uh some executive producers talking and they were saying um so so when's the giraffe gonna get here um oh it's it's coming it should be here in, in a couple of hours <laughs> and i had to interject because i uh, wasn't quite sure what they were talking about and said, I'm sorry, uh, did you say that there was a giraffe coming? I said, oh, yeah, did nobody tell you? Yeah, we're we're going to be renting a giraffe for this uh, scene that we're going to be filming. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I had to uh, immediately dive into uh, issues that I never thought I would confront, like how does one rent a giraffe? What does a giraffe rental agreement look like? What are the implications of renting a giraffe, for example, in terms of insurance? So I had to jump on the phone with our insurance company. Uh, I had to look into uh, matters related to filming with animals and whether or not there were any spe uh, specific rules uh, with regards to that. All well, we had a giraffe uh, in transit coming uh, to our stage. And, uh, you know, that certainly pushed me uh, out of my comfort zone. Um, you know, I think that um, one of the uh, exciting things about uh, uh, working as production counsel uh, and working in entertainment law is that you are confronted with these things all the time and they come up and they're, uh, you know, it's sort of urgent, it's very fast paced, et cetera. And that is both exciting and uh, terrifying at times. Um, <laughs> but you know, you trust in the legal training that you've received. You trust in the fact that you have good judgment, that you're thoughtful and knowing your own limitations and raising your hand and talking to other attorneys that uh, like I did uh, at MGM and said, uh, hey everybody, uh, we have an animal that we're renting, has anybody dealt with this issue, what can you um, uh, share? I think when you're asked to go outside your comfort zone, uh, the things that distinguish, in my opinion, between 
you know, uh, uh, some attorneys uh, and really great attorneys is the ability to raise your hand and say, I don't know about this. Uh, I need some help. I need uh, some guidance um, because I think we're, as attorneys, trained uh, in this idea that we have to have the answers. Uh, and if we don't, that's somehow a failing uh, on our part. And that's just not the case. Nobody can know everything about the law. It is changing too quickly. There are too many uh, issues that have uh, never come up before. Um, and so, you know, knowing your limitations and being, and being able to ask for help and, and guidance and support and mentorship, uh, all of those things are not flaws. They are the, the things that will make you really successful. Right, absolutely, absolutely, and then, like you said in the in the first answer, you know, uh, entertainment law kind of uh, is a grab all, catch all uh, type of field, and uh, animal rights seems to be another field that it seems to catch into. But um, you know, Mr. Hewitt, you've been you've been more than kind in allotting some time for us today for the Brooklyn Law students and community and the outside listeners tuning into this episode. Is there anyone in particular in the Brooklyn Law community that you'd like to give a shout out to? Well, first, I want to just thank you, Leonardo, for, for having me. Uh, it's a lot of fun uh, talking about this. Uh, always happy to share my experiences. Um, uh, I know that I appreciated it when I was an attorney, when uh, I could hear about, uh, or when I was in law school, hearing from other attorneys uh, about their path to where they got. Uh, it allowed me to sort of have a, a roadmap uh, for the way that I was gonna uh, steer my my career. So thank you. Uh, I wanna say thank you to the uh, Brooklyn Sports and Entertainment Law Society. Um, you know, I was a member when I was uh, at Brooklyn Law. It is great that we have so many uh, clubs and organizations at Brooklyn Law uh, that allow people that have similar goals and interest to come together and learn um and uh, explore those interests together um and uh just to the brooklyn law community at large uh, uh it has been um uh it, it has served me well i um am incredibly grateful for the education that i got at brooklyn law school uh i continue to go to brooklyn law events out here in la um, and interact with other attorneys uh, who graduated from Brooklyn Law um, and uh, have been welcomed uh, and supported at every step of the way. So, well, Mr. Hewitt, thank you very much once again for your time, for being on the show today with us. You're, you're an inspiration to many of us still on the books down here on Gerolamo Street. And, uh, you know, on behalf of the Brooklyn Law community and the Brooklyn Sports Entertainment Law podcast and club, uh, you know, we all wish you a wonderful day. And once again, thank you so much for your time. Of course. Thank you.